This is Cult Scenes K-Pop Unmuted, a podcast dedicated to in-depth discussion of K-Pop. We're your hosts, Stephen Knight, Alexis Oyan, and Tamara Herman. And on this episode, we're discussing Produce 101. So in case there's anybody out there who's not familiar with Produce 101, Alexis, do you want to explain what's going on there? Yeah. Produce 101 started out as a competition show last year, and it brought 101 trainees together. Last season was all girls, and this new one is all boys from different agencies in Korea. And they're basically competing to debut in this 11-member supergroup. Yeah, now when I first heard of this concept, it almost sounded like a joke. What did you guys think of it? It sounded a bit cruel at the beginning. Yeah? Yeah, it was really weird. And then when the first season, when the producer's comments came to light about it being like healthy porn or something, it just seemed like a really bad idea. Wasn't that after the show, the healthy porn comment? Or was it during airing? I just remember thinking that was the weirdest thing. For background, one of the producers of the show said that hundreds of girls dancing on stage is a healthy form of porn. So that was cool and weird. Yeah, I think that was after the show was over. I keep telling myself that maybe... I'm not going to try to defend the guy. <laughs> that was a very strange thing to say. But I don't know that that defines the show. Yeah, no, not, not in the least. But now it's back with guys, and it's, I guess, the same thing, but I think now it's just a little messier. Steven, you originally asked like what we thought about it, and it kind of made me think of how One Direction was put together through a show, essentially. K-pop has that all the time, but having 100, it just felt kind of like a way to like run through trainees really quickly, and anybody who didn't make the cut and what became IOI was just like, okay, either go back to your companies or you're kind of like done. You don't have a career now. Bye. There are just so many trainees out there. Like William Entertainment today announced that Infinite's baby brother company is going to come out and it's going to have 11 guys because of course they have way too many trainees. So they're just going to be like, here, 11 guys. Perfect. The fact that they were able to find 101 trainees from companies that were able to be like yeah we, we don't need them sort of like you can take them for a year and i think the guy one might be two years yeah two years for this one it kind of just seems like a space to throw all these trainees that are maybe gonna debut sometime soon like i know like the brand new music yeah brand new music crew on produce 101 now like everybody's saying they're gonna debut anyway there's four of them already like it doesn't really matter but so it doesn't really matter, but at the same time, they're getting popularity, but there's all these other trainees who will have no opportunity to really debut ever. So I kind of just think of the show as like a trash bin, a recycling bin. Well, I mean, there's that, but there's also, you know, like the Cube trainees. I think one of them trained for like five months or something. Like they're just throwing out there and see what people like because they're the trainees that have trained for like the longest times and then they're the ones who are just started and then they're also you know like newest and the what are they called hotshot and top dog i think in that sense the guys season it's a little grimmer yeah in the first season there were contestants who had already debuted but somehow it didn't seem to be as big of an issue as it is this year well, I guess most of the other guys, they didn't really make such a big deal out of it. But the New East guys, they really made a big deal out of it, considering, A, it's most of their group, and B, like, they're from Pledis. They're not from a small label, like Hotshot and who was, oh, JJCC was there. And I did not even remember that they were there until they were gone. 
I just think because New East is such a older group, like I don't think of New East as a new group, and I don't think of them as necessarily a group that didn't do well because they had so much hype around them early on, and I've always liked their music. So when they announced it, I was just like, this is kind of embarrassing, and I think that was what the show was trying to play up a little bit, and, and they've done a good job at doing that and hyping it up. Yeah. <laughs> Nastily. And also, of course, you have 17, which has eclipsed them. And you have Kahi, who's a trainer. So you have all these elements that just make good television. Yeah. And, and every time they bring up 17, it's just such a punch in the stomach to the New East guys. I think it was a bit of a low blow when they did the boy group songs and Manse was yeah. in there. I was just like, that was unnecessary. Like they could have put another group. Like there are other boy groups who are prominent. What do you guys think about the editing? Because we keep on going back to that regarding Nui's. But in general, do you like it? Do you think it's fair? Well, like you said, 101 trainees, one of the reasons it seems so crazy is how can you make a television show with 101 contestants? Audition shows have been around for a while in K-pop, and there's a limited number of people that can perform and be evaluated. And as it turns out, you really don't have 101 trainees that are in the show in any meaningful way. I mean, yeah, you can go online, I guess, and see videos, but some people are just pretty much left out. I think there was a point in one of these last couple of episodes where the rare moments where they show one of those trainees that never gets any airtime, and he was talking about thinking that he was going to be eliminated that show and that it was because he never got any airtime. And I, and I thought it was not ironic, but maybe like a little mean that this trainee is here saying like, oh, I'm going to be out because I don't get any airtime. And that's what they're airing. Yeah, it is kind of interesting that sometimes it's a storyline that people are not popular or they're not shown much on the show. That was one of the really compelling parts of the first year was they form these groups and they have the group battles. There was a girl group that was made up of people who just it was pretty clear they weren't going to make it. And they did EXO's Growl. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you guys remember that. Yeah, yeah, remember. And they just killed it. They did a great job. And it was such a feel-good moment, even though you knew they weren't going to make it. good television. So they'll even play up the people who are not favored by the editing process as a way to make another storyline. Then there's the matter of the points they get when they win a battle. It's starkly different from the girls because I think in the first battle from the girls season, they won like a thousand points or something. And the guys started off with like 3,000. I do think I don't like how they do the voting in person during the performances. I had the same problem during Monster X's debut show, No Mercy, because they just round up all these people and are like, here, you're voting on behalf of the entire nation to give these guys 3,000 points. But people clearly came with like fan signs. Obviously, the more popular members are going to do better. And clearly, we're watching for entertainment. But part of me keeps on like rooting for the more talented singers to do better. Just magically, everyone in Korea starts voting for them. I just want some good talent in it, but it is for entertainment, but it still makes me frustrated. Yeah, I think the guys really learned from the first season. You notice right from the start, they're not picking people for their teams based just on talent. They're picking them based on how popular they are and how many votes they think they're going to get. That actually, I think that 
the boy group challenge where they we he picked like the Avengers team and everything and and I mean they won but they all thought like oh yeah like it's this group that's gonna like be the best and everything but I think it kind of no it was detrimental because they were all so popular that their votes were evenly distributed between all of them and the number one trainee ended up being the guy from Mense who had no popularity and just won based on talent because his group was, I guess, not as talented as him. So that's why he got most of the votes. I mean, I was so happy for him. I think that was Park Udam and I was just like, yay, you're talented and you're number one. This is awesome. But then they started the next episode and of course they had all the voting in and it didn't matter. Well, going back to season one and, and looking at both seasons, can you pick a favorite moment or favorite performance? Does anything stand out to you? I have one, but it's not a performance. It's just, I really like when things are fair. And I don't remember which episode it was. It was maybe in the third episode when they were prepping for the team performances. And Beiko from New East, or he goes on by his name, Kang Dong-ho on the show, he was watching, I think it was the Avengers team practicing, and he realized that they had switched something up so that they had more members singing than his team would have, because the way they split it up is that if you're competing against another team, you have to have the same amount of members doing the same amount of things. So if you're having two singers singing a melody together, then the other team has to have two members singing a melody together, unless you explicitly agree on it. And then they go to the last rehearsal, and Big was like standing there watching them really really closely and they've been playing him up as kind of this manly tough guy who everyone's scared of so that was definitely playing into that he wasn't supposed to be talking or doing anything and he was just watching them really closely and suddenly he like grabs a mic and he calls them out for essentially attempting to break the rules of the show i don't actually remember if they were allowed to or they weren't in the end no i think it was daily layering the vocals I'm almost positive he didn't end up doing it on the performance. On the final? Yeah, no. So so anyway, I just really liked that moment because I feel a lot of the time the competition between the teams is kind of forced on them by the editing. They don't necessarily most of the time go up against one another. A lot of the times you'll see them like helping another team person out to learn the dance. Like you'll see it in like the back corner of the camera when they're discussing something else. But they never really show them like getting at each other. And this was a nice little moment of drama that showed that people were still taking it seriously, even though they really knew who already won. So because I don't like that it's pretty much set who's going to win, I like that. How about you, Alexis? I think I'm not alone when I say that Ha is just queen. So in the first season, I think my favorite moment was her audition, when she just freestyles the Beyonce song. And I thought that, I mean, it's not like I watch a lot of competition shows and or even girls' competition shows. So that, to me, was just like, wow, like, this girl is real. She has what it takes. She has star power, you know? And I think that with K-pop, I don't think that a lot of individuals have star power, but with Chungha, from the get-go, I was like, yes, this girl, she has it. So that was my favorite moment from the first season. And this one, I think that it's pretty early to pick one, but I think that I really liked... Not the Avengers team, but actually Dong Ho's team. Their interpretation of boys in love. They were so good. Yeah, because I think that that's something not even BTS has. They're older now and they do want to be like, oh yeah, like we're rebellious and we're tough guys. But it's like, 
no, like those guys brought their own spin to it, I think. And I think that as opposed to the Avengers, the Avengers, they delivered a really good performance, but it was really by the book. And I didn't see personality in it, I guess. But with the other team, Donghoe's team, I thought that you could see another interpretation of a song. How about you, Steven? Yeah, well, my favorite moment is from the first season. It involves Kathy, who goes by Huihian. Now she is one of the Daya members who officially dropped out of Daya to join Produce 101. She's probably best known as the other Daya member besides Cheyon. Oh, yeah. Right? And she has kind of a girl crush image. I think she was pretty popular amongst the members. She did well on the show. She didn't make IOI, but I think in the last voting before the final episode, she may have been 13th, so she was right up there. That's so annoying. I know, right? <laughs> I don't think she ended up 13th, but she, she really had a shot. Yeah, no, 13th was the girl with the squeaky voice. Okay, yeah. I recently watched it, so that's why I know. <laughs> in the second to last episode, she was 13th. I think she was lower in the yeah. final accounting. But the moment that I really remember is from, it's in the last episode, but it's kind of a flashback to the gorilla concert that they did, which wasn't really a gorilla concert, but it was an outdoor event. It was the last 22 contestants, and they performed and interacted with the crowd. And the last part of the show was a high five fan meeting. And they lined up all the members on stage, and the format was that the fans lined up, and one by one, they ran up onto the stage, and they run up to their favorite girl and give her a high five and maybe say something encouraging and run off the stage. And of course, it's one of these 80-20 kind of things where there's you know three or four or five really popular girls that most of the people go up to and say hi to, but it goes on and on and on, and nobody is coming up and giving Kathy a high five. But she had the extra misfortune of standing next to Sohye, yeah. who was really the big story of the first season. She was the acting trainee who basically had no singing or dancing training at all and apparently, you know, no discernible talent for singing or dancing either. And she just worked really hard. She improved a lot. She never got good, but she improved a lot. And she was just super lovable. And she was a very popular contestant and member of IOI. And she's standing right next to Kathy. So all these people are running up to Sohye and hugging her, giving her a high five and running off. So this goes on and on. Eventually, a guy comes up on stage and he goes up to Kathy and gives her a high five and says something to her. And she smiles at him and watches him walk off the stage and turns back around. And it's like three, two, one. Here come the tears. That moment really stuck with me because, first of all, it's a really sweet moment. But it's also very revealing about the show, Produce 101, and I think really the idol industry overall, because you have somebody here who she's got so much going for her. She's worked hard for years. She's hit so many milestones that so many other people haven't. She's debuted. She's recorded music. She's performed on music shows. And none of that really matters, because the only thing that matters is... Popularity. Yeah. Getting people to like you. And all she's trying to do, her job, just like... Really, when you come down to it, idols' jobs is to be liked. to make people like them. I think that's kind of why they played up the whole New East, your failed group sort of thing, because they haven't managed to make people like them enough. I don't know about you guys, but I really like their music pretty regularly throughout their career. Oh, yeah. They had, yeah. They had some stuff that like, I didn't love, but whatever. But I really like their latest stuff, especially, and, and just because they weren't able to make people like them, essentially, they're now, oh, you're the ones who 17 surpassed. 
and that's kind of what the show likes playing up. Right. At that moment, it's probably 20 seconds on the show, but I really remember that. Any fave moments from this season so far? Kahi, her reaction to New East. Really? That she was so fake. <laughs> you think it was? Yeah, I thought it was so fake. We were so mad at that. We were so mad at that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it was so On the other side, I thought some of Boa's comments were pretty funny. Evaluating one group, she said, there's not enough letters in the alphabet for these guys. Oh. You know, like F, we, we <laughs> need to go. <laughs> we need more letters. Yeah. Or when the uh, the YGK guys performed and, you know, everybody was talking about how handsome they were and tall they were and everything. And when they finished, she said, she sighed and said, ah, life is fair. <laughs> <laughs> right. They have no talent. So they, they don't have everything. Yeah. She's really funny. I'm kind of, I'm a huge fan of Etook, so I'm really, really excited. But I'm, I think I'm going to miss her a little bit because she was really funny. I like and she has such a long career, but it's not like she's old. So she's probably only a few years older than some of these guys. It's like she's saying the thoughts that the viewers probably are thinking. And I think it's so funny. And she's such a much better host than John Kinsook, in my opinion. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, he has this persona, right? Like, he's hot stuff and he's handsome and he has the hair and whatever. And he's his character in every drama, right? So I think that. <laughs> That's what was in the show also. But then you have Boa. I think she seems more professional, but at the same time, she seems more approachable. Because a lot of the girls looked up to, like, in a fangirly way. He would come in, they would start screaming, and they would yeah. be like, oh, give me your autograph or whatever. And I think that with Boa, the guys look up to her. Like, yeah, they'd be like, oh, yeah, she's so pretty and whatever. But they still respect her as an elder in the industry. Well, so now that we've seen the results of the first season, do you all have some thoughts about the effect of this show on the industry? I mean, I don't think there can be other shows modeled after this, but what effect do you think this has on the K-pop industry as a whole? I don't necessarily think it's a good thing. Not that it's a bad thing, but right now we're seeing pretty much if you're a girl group with an IOI member or someone who did really well in Produce 101, that's really how they're marketing that group, and it's not really working out for some groups. So I think it's kind of become the thing that's holding these groups back. I mean, I hope that they don't have it forever, but the, the girls from IOI are now the IOI girls. And I personally, when I was writing about the end of IOI, like I was just looking at all these fan accounts and all these websites that are just like, oh no, this is the end of them. And in my mind, like, yeah, K-pop. There is a lot of disposable acts and a lot of acts dissipate really quickly. But if you have this group that's going so strong, it seemed like a waste, sort of. Yeah. And they haven't been able to transmute it well into the other groups. Like Dia isn't doing particularly well. Gugudan isn't. I don't know the last time they had a release. And I just don't think it was translated well. And I understand why Produce 101 is going to do two years for this one. But at the same time, that makes me mad for the companies that actually train them because then they can't debut them. Or if you have New East, like, does that mean if one of the members gets in, are they just done? I think there's no end goal really for Produce 101. It's not like we're making a group like the other shows are. It's like we're making a group for a minute. And it kind of leaves all these trainees just in the middle of nowhere once that time is done. And it leaves the trainees who don't make it who are really good kind of reliant on their popularity from that rather than trying to set their whole new identity. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, I guess that's why the big three maybe don't 
participate so much or barely have participated. It doesn't make sense for them when they have trainees that they can train themselves and promote themselves. This is clearly a PR stunt for most of these, probably all of the people who appear on these shows. But then in my mind, if I was to go on this show, like if I were New East or the brand new music guys, I would work really, really hard and still make sure just to be in 12th. Because you don't want to be in 11th. You want to be under the company that you know best rather than this random group that's going to work you really, really hard for two years and then you're going to be done. Well, I've heard that New East has become more popular since this show started airing. Yeah, their albums have started charting again, which is good because their last two albums were like the best thing out of K-pop last year, in my opinion. They were really good. Yeah. So as a PR stunt, I think it makes sense. But I agree with what you said, Tamar, because I don't think that the companies themselves really realized how popular IOI was going to be. And it's sad to see that they still haven't figured out how to transition that popularity into different groups. Because other than Somi, like, who is really, really popular? And even Somi doesn't even have a group yet. But I'm curious to see what's going to happen with the guys, like if they've figured out another strategy, because now it's two years, right? So I think that they'll either change the whole thing or they'll fail even worse than with the girls. Well, to me, the big difference between this show and the more traditional audition shows like Superstar K and K-pop Star is... I think that the more traditional shows were very helpful in that they helped promote and make popular and sort of teach the agencies that performers who didn't necessarily fit the idol mold could actually be popular. And I think a lot of acts came out of those shows, even if they're not huge twice or 17 level successes, came out of those shows and even went into big agencies and made some good music. And I think it was healthy in that way. And I think Produce 101 sort of pushes the pendulum back the other way, where looks is exaggerated even more than it is in making a K-pop group just within an agency. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. I think other shows, they kind of play up the talent more, particularly the audition shows. But even... I mentioned it before, the last group show that I saw was Monster X's, and there were some times where I didn't necessarily agree with the voting, but at the end of the day, it made sense watching the show why the members got into the group, and it wasn't only because they were good-looking. Like, the popular members weren't only the good-looking ones. Like, the talented ones would get through, too. There was some really malevolent Mnet editing going on also, just like in Produce 101, but... When you have groups coming together on these shows and people are voting for them, you kind of have, yeah, you have to have them looking good, but you also need them to have some talent. And on this show with so many people, it doesn't really matter because if you just know what that person looks like, you're going to vote for them. And of course, the people who stand out are the better looking people. Well, if the guy season is anything like the girl season, the girl season, the top 11, it shifted in members a few times, but not really. Like, it was almost always the same girls. So I think that with the guys, we can kind of already start seeing who's going to make the cut also. Because, I mean, IOI, they had maybe two good singers. But the guys, I mean, off the top of my head, other than the New East members, there's not that many good vocalists either. I felt... During the first show, when they're showing off all their talent and whatever, it felt like there was a lot more or less talent in different tiers than I expected. And maybe they're just not showing enough, but I expected there to be more talent in the show. 
Does that make sense? The whole thing is just saying, oh, you're the top 11 beautiful people who people vote for, mostly. Plus one talented person. That's one thing I will say, that I think that the girls' season had more talented participants than the guys' season. I mean, it's not necessarily the girls who actually made it into IOI, but when I saw the auditions, I did notice that the participants were more talented than the guys. And I think that it'll be interesting to see who makes it into the group and how it will sound. Because I think that right now, the most popular ones are either okay singers or not at all, or not even rappers. Like that, what's his name? Moon? Moonbook? Moon what? <laughs> the long hairy guy. Oh, God. <laughs> I, like, really, this, I can't stand him. I think it's just, he's not talented, and if he gets into it just because people are like, we're going to disrupt the system, like, that's not the point of this. And I want it to be about musical talent, but I know it's not going to be about that. So, but, like, they're just sticking it like, oh, like, he's not what you want, so we're going to vote for him. It's just so petty. Like, get over it. And he's not good. I thought we were going to get through the whole show without talking about Moonbok. Oh, it's enough. We didn't make it. We didn't make it. I mean, by all means, keep him around because he's funny. So I enjoy watching him just make completely different choreographies out of what the actual choreography is. But no, like, I don't want him in the 11. What what is that going to look like? No. I know what you're saying. And like, I just think it's kind of even the show, let alone the voters are kind of making him out to be a mockery of what K-pop idols are because he's doing everything completely wrong. And I think it's belittling everybody else in the show. I have a lot of thoughts about him because I really don't like what they're doing with him and how people are treating him kind of like a cruel joke. It's like male voters, because I think it was in the last episode, they were saying who votes for them, and they were saying that he was the most popular among men. And I was like, of course, of course he's the most popular (laughs) among men. I mean, they want to mess up our boy group. (laughs) But I think the show itself isn't necessarily... I don't think it's not positive, because like, IOI came out of it, and they had a lot of songs that people really liked. But it does seem like it's making K-pop go even, if possible, an even more superficial direction where screen time plus good looks equals win rather than anything else. But I do have to admit, IOI was great. So if we come out with a comparable boy band, I'm good with that. I'm excited to see who's in it. Hopefully it's nobody I hate. Well, let's move on to our unmuted K-pop picks. And this is where we each pick a song that we've been thinking about, that we like, that we don't like, or we somehow have found something worth talking about. Tamara, how about you? So I am really enjoying Vix's Shangri-La. I really am enjoying the music video a bit more than the song. The song is good, and I could listen to it on repeat if I needed to. Uh, Definitely will have it like on my playlist. I was listening to it all day while I was writing an article. So I know that I can listen to it on repeat without getting really sick of it. Like another certain song by Twice that came out this week, which I can't listen to. But I really was impressed by Vix's blending of East Meast West in the music video. I really like fan dances. It's just a thing I like. And I remember Way back when, when I saw Brown Eyed Girls' sign for the first time, I was like, oh my gosh, they're doing a fan dance. And there hasn't been like a good one in K-pop in a while. And last year at KCON New York, I was on a panel and I said, I like remembered. I never remember anything. I have a really horrible memory. 
So the fact that I remember this like really resonated with me. I <laughs> I remember saying explicitly, someone asked, what direction would you like to see K-pop going? And I said, I want to see it become more Korean. Like it's K-pop, but a lot of the time it doesn't necessarily feel Korean except the language. And Vix did a really good job with the song also, because the song is, the lyrics are very poetic and are reminiscent of Chinese poetry. But the music video, it kind of glosses over East Asian mythology, it glosses over Korean history, it has this fan dance that's beautiful, it has everybody wearing modernized hanbok. I mean, it was gorgeous music video. But I think it was just a really well done production of what I imagined K-pop. If someone described Korean pop to me, that's kind of what I want to see. something that we've been seeing more like Ten's Dream in a Dream. Great song. Also sort of had that. And I'm, I'm hoping we're going to see that be a growing trend this year. Yeah, I was wondering, is a fan dance, that's something I associate with female dancers, but is that usual for men to do fan dances? I don't think so. I've never seen one done by guys. And I watch a lot of Korean dramas and I've never seen any guy ever dance with a fan. Men historically in Korea would use fans because it was just so hot. So it, it wasn't, I mean, based on dramas, I have never actually studied that part of history if people used fans or not. And imagine that. According to this drama. Uh, but in dramas, you'll see people with fans. And so I don't think it's necessarily not masculine for them to do a fan dance, but also like, it, was a, it wasn't like the most powerful k-pop boy band dance ever but it was a pretty dominating one like all the water and the stomping and i didn't necessarily think it was feminine i did wonder if somebody who doesn't know anything about k-pop is gonna like someday stumble upon this video and like eat into oriental ideals about effeminity and asian men being more effeminate than western ones and i was just like oh this is not gonna go well for that one person who one day might have that same thought that i'm worrying about well, the song I want to talk about is from Lovely's repackaged album, We Now, and it's repackaged with the songs that were on the WOW album. There's only two new songs, and one of them is called Aya. And this is actually a big week for Lovely's. They just won their first music show first place. I saw it. was so cute. I know. It's a combination first love, notice me, Opa themed song, which is the least interesting thing I can think of. That's about 60% of girl group output, I think, covered right there. And I think it's a little bit challenging for some people, especially from the West, because the vocals are very highly affected and cutesy, like all the way through. It's not just little details that are added in. The singing all the way through is like that. But when you listen to it, especially if you put on headphones and kind of try to pay attention to what's going on, the composition and production of this song was just really impressive. Yeah. It's so busy and detailed. There's so many layers, and there's so many sort of one-off riffs, you know, or sounds that aren't repeated. There's so many ideas that went into this one song, but they're still integrated really well. I tried to make a list of some of them. There's circus music and voice acting and siren and a music box and alarms and telephone recordings, you know, along with the regular stuff, the singings and the drum machines and the synths and so on. Just on the surface, it's a light, catchy song, but it's really interesting. Even the structure of it is a little bit interesting. 
the way they use that ayaya refrain as sort of a post-chorus, and then they use it as an outro. And it has all these disparate elements, but they really did a great job of melding them all together and making a really enjoyable song. So I have to say I chose it because I was hoping that I could see if Alexis could make it all the way through this song. I actually liked it. <laughs> I mean, Did you? I mean, I'm a fan of like the 8-bit sound. and Yeah. I was like, oh, this sounds like a J-pop song. Until it came to the chorus. And I was like, yeah, okay. Hello, K-pop. <laughs> this is your standard cute K-pop girl group. But I liked it. I mean, if I could find the instrumental version, I would probably listen to that. But I like the song. I have to come to terms that that's how K-pop girls sing. <laughs> I had the lowest expectations when I read Lovelies. I was like, ugh. But now I like the song. <laughs> so mean. Whatever. Um, I actually think you like the song more than me, Alexis. I heard it. I was like, this sounds like an anime theme song. But I'm going to go listen to it again with headphones because you're saying that there's a lot more stuff that I didn't notice on my one listen. So I want to go hear that again. So Alexis, what song have you been thinking about? The thing is that I enjoyed XOCBX's Japanese single, Kaching. And full disclosure, I like it because it sounds like a super junior song. I don't remember the name of their previous single, the Korean one. Hey Mama. Yeah, that thing. Oh my God, no. That was great. <laughs> I didn't, oh my, no. I didn't really like it at all. But they had a B-side called Juliet. And that thing, when I heard it, like, I loved it instantly, but then I started kind of hating it because I was like, this is a Super Junior song. And now this Kaching one also sounds like Super Junior in line with, like, Devil and Magic. I think that if they weren't, like, half of the group was in the army, those would be the songs that they would be promoting right now. Because a lot of SM songs are really interchangeable with the groups. Like, it also kind of sounds like Chinese Dream Girl. song because i was like oh i can see super junior singing the song but i mean Beckyon and chen are really good vocalists so i'm here for it but a thing that stood out to me was the music video because it's weird and k-pop isn't weird k-pop is not that bold anymore i think that k-pop has gone the route of being aesthetically pleasing and like being pastel colored and whatever also, I think it has to do with the fact that it's a Japanese single and not a Korean one. But still, it was like an interesting take, especially for them, because it's not something you would expect from EXO. But this is a subunit, so it's nice to see what they're crafting in there. Yeah, I think K-pop fans should pay more attention to the Japanese releases. There's some really good stuff. 
Yeah, especially with SM groups. Well, okay, no, I take that back. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, no, yeah. I think only Girls' Generation's Japanese songs, I would say I like more the Japanese versions than the Korean ones. But that's it. Don't even talk to me about Shiny and Super Junior. So thanks for listening to this episode of K-Pop Unmuted. The first one that's going to be going up on cultscene.com, so check it out. Make sure to subscribe to us on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts, whether that's iTunes or Google Play or SoundCloud or Stitcher or who what's it. You can check us out on social media, K-Pop Unmuted by Cultscene. Check out both of those things. It's Cultscene with a K. And please look forward to hearing from us again in the future.